This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now up to, to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. Today on the program, I sit down with the Senior Advisor for Media Relations. He's with the MLB Players Association. He's been a sports writer covering Major League Baseball for the better part of four decades. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Krasnick. Jerry, thanks for coming on the podcast. Good to be here, Brett. A lot of uh, fond memories uh, with you filling up my notebook many years ago. I hope a lot of it was in a good way, but I'm, I'm sure there were a few. A few, a few always, wel- always welcome. Always. Um, <laughs> tell me your new role uh, at the Players Association. I think you've been there for four years now. Just give me an oversight of it. Yeah, um, I left ESPN at the end of uh, 2018. Um, as you kind of know, ESPN's been a little bit tumultuous you know with cord cutting and a lot of the changes there and so um i was looking for a new landing spot and the people at the pa were nice enough to bring me on board in january of 2019 and um it's probably been a little bit of an evolution in terms of what i did what i've been doing i think um you know at the beginning we kind of felt like maybe the fact that um I knew a lot of people in the media and people with teams and had good relations with players and agents that I would be out in clubhouses sort of, uh, you know, getting the feel for what's going on. And then obviously then COVID hit. <laughs> so we didn't get in the clubhouses for a couple years. And then um, then we had, you know, we've had a couple of uh, labor uh, negotiations, which obviously puts a different slant on things. Um, Now we've been doing a lot more content production. You know, we're doing uh, a lot of social media. Um, You know, I still am am writing some. 
Um, I think we're trying to, the, the face of the media is changing, Brad, as you've probably seen. You know, I think, uh, look at the NCAA tournament, you know, you see all these uh, cameras and locker rooms and, you know, people want to see players and their personalities. So, you know, we've been doing a lot more of that stuff. And um, it's fun because I, I feel like I'm getting back to my creative roots a little bit. Yeah, you, you mentioned that. It's so much different. I mean, you you kind of broke in in 88. Uh, I, I came into the big leagues in 92. Definitely the landscape of, of how we cover athletes and, you know, teams and, and different sports definitely has changed with the technology. Uh, and I, I want to discuss that a little bit later. But as for you, you always, as a kid, do you always want to be a sports writer? When did you first know? <laughs> Well, I was probably like most kids. I think I wanted to be a baseball player, you know, um, but I didn't have nearly the talent that you had or other people had. So I guess I washed out pretty early. And, I, I you know, I, I always felt, I think, like I wanted to be a writer. You know, it was the thing I felt most comfortable with and did well. Um, but as a young person, you really don't think about being a sports writer because it almost seems like, too fun a profession you know <laughs> it's, it's like would someone actually pay me to write about sports so um you know i went to college at uh, boston university and got out and really didn't um anticipate getting into sports writing but it was my first job out of college and then it just went from there how do you think baseball's changed since you broke in what's the biggest change you see and I, and I don't mean from a from a content uh perspective from a from a media but just the game in general i know this year and and we can touch on this a lot of you know a lot of rule changes uh but they've been slowly changing rules throughout you know for the last decade or so slowly here and there pitch clock uh you're you're just overall on on the biggest change you see yeah brett i think the biggest change honestly is you know, probably came with the analytics revolution. Um, you know, nowadays you have armies of uh, quantitative analysis, analysts and people in front offices. And I think it's changed baseball in so many ways. It's probably changed the, you know, the draft and the way they look at acquiring players. It's changed the way they develop players. Um, it's changed the way they value players. You know, the the guy who was sort of the the glue guy who, um, you know, was great in a clubhouse. I think they don't really seem to value that as much anymore. And to me, it's kind of unfortunate because I think, you know, the relationships and the, the human element of the game maybe has taken a hit with that. And I hope it's something we can get back to soon. I think, I, I think you're right when it comes to the, to the analytics of the game. I've, you know, I've, of course, at first glance, you know, my last year, my last time having a uniform on was 2008. Um, so I kind of qualify as that older player that, and you hear a lot of it that want to dismiss analytics out of hand. I think I've, I've studied a little bit. I think that would be ignorant for us as, as baseball players and major league baseball to just, Oh no, it's better when I played. So I, I look at it, there can be a lot of positive in the analytics, but like you mentioned, the intangibles. Uh, are you going to miss a, a great player that doesn't 
necessarily add up analytically. You know, I think it's a great training tool. I think it's great for people to evaluate, especially at the amateur level. But when it comes to big leagues, I, I think it's uh, you can get those percentages down pretty good X, Y, and Z. If you have this type of bat speed, if if you have this type of running speed, uh, you're in the you know 80th percentile. I think it's great for that. But I still think that there's that rare spot where you can miss a diamond in the rough and, and not see a great player. I look at a, and I don't know if necessarily if analytics were around then that Mike Piazza would have been off the radar, but a guy like that, that went in the, I don't know what he went in the 65th round became the all time greatest offensive catcher in the history of the game. Do you miss a guy like that? Yeah. I mean, I think more along the lines of the, you know, the David Eckstein's or yes, the that's Placido a great... Polanco's or the guys who would hit the ball to the right side or put the ball in play. I mean, I think sometimes, honestly, I remember I remember covering um, players, um, Carlos Correa, when he was a young player with the Astros, and he had a big at bat in the postseason, and he hit a ball to the right side to move a guy over, you know, from second to third, I believe. And he got back to the dugout and everybody was high-fiving him and congratulating him. And I remember analytics people kind of mocking that and saying, why would you, you know, uh, celebrate a guy who made an out? <laughs> and it was a case of, look, you know, I was being pitched tough. Um, I was trying to do something to help the team by getting a run across and I just think that's a little bit, that message has been lost a little bit, you know, that you don't see those kinds of selfless acts being recognized in the analytics community. But I do think in the, um, in the player community for managers and players, they're always going to appreciate a guy like that, right? Yeah. And Jerry, I think, I think that's where sometimes the analytical guys miss it. Um, because my experience in the game, the great teams that I've been on did stuff like you were talking about, move the runner. Uh, that 2001 Mariner team I was on, it seemed like every day we'd move the runner, sack fly, it's one to nothing. And that other team gets demoralized after a while. It's such a, a psyche change. Uh, and it just builds in the clubhouse. I remember, I remember one time, and you, and you talk about moving the runner over, really close friend of mine and, and obviously a great hitter, Edgar Martinez sit in the middle of our lineup in, in 2001 and there's a runner on second. There's nobody out and he hits a ground ball to second base and moves him to third in a, in like an eight to two ball game where we're winning eight to two. And I could tell Edgar did it on purpose. And I went over to him as early in the season and I said, Edgar, why did you give yourself up and move the runner? I understand if it's a two to two ball game, three to two, he said, Booney, cause that's the way you play the game. And if you play the game that way all the time, at the end, you're going to be better off for it. Well, I kind of took that to heart, and I started playing that way. And now all of a sudden, Johnny Olerud's playing that way. And now all of a sudden, Ichiro's playing that way, and Mike Cameron's playing that way. And if they're going to do it, the 25th man on the roster is going to do it. And the way you, and the, and the way that team formed a bond and that team chemistry that before then I, I really didn't believe in, you know, I was on a 1999 Braves team where we went start to finish, won 103, 104 games. And we just beat people up and people would ask me, is there a chemistry? I said, I, I think you get the best players and that's how you win. Well, 2001 changed my mind. 
on that. And it was the way we played the game. Each and every at bat, we had something to do. We had a, a plan. I don't see that much in today's game. And it goes beyond the analytical guys saying, oh, well, moving a runner, you know, oh, that's giving away an out. It's, it's beyond that. It, it's for how it sets the tone in that locker room and, and the camaraderie that we get. And I don't think that can be, that can be measured with analytics. Yeah. And the last thing I want to do, I don't want to be one of those guys who like demonizes everything because I know some of the players playing now we saw in the WBC. I mean, the talent level, the magnetism of these guys, it's incredible. Um, I just think that there's a balance maybe that needs to be struck with these kinds of things. And, um, you know, players, I defer to players on what they think is important, you know, and managers and people who've been around the game. And, you know, sometimes I think that stuff gets ridiculed a little bit. And, um, you know, I was thinking of going to spring training and seeing guys like Ron Washington or Perry Hill or Bobby Dickerson, like these old infield coaches who are just out, you know, on the backfield or out early before the game doing these drills with the guys. And I hope we always have a place for these guys in the game, you know, that that it's not just about analytics. It's about human relationships and getting the best out of players and, you know, sort of celebrating what they do well. And, uh, you know, I, I just I, I was always sort of smitten by the romance of the game you know the relationships the personalities that sort of thing and I think that's a thing that is important also to um Jed Lowry told me last year I think he said the um the business analytics are good for the business of baseball but it doesn't always make for the best entertainment you know for instance and I'll pass this back to you but remember how excited you would get if you saw a Pedro Martinez versus so-and-so matchup, you know, a starting pitcher matchup, and how everybody felt a little bit more excited going to the park. Well, the opener strategy is fine, but does it really have the same appeal to fans in terms of watching two openers in a game, you know, in a postseason? To me, that starting pitcher you know, Scherzer, Verland, or whatever it is, has a certain cachet. You played with, you know, Randy Johnson or whatever, guys like that. If he's going against a, an ace from another team, to me, that just takes baseball entertainment to a whole different level. Yeah, I think definitely the build out, build up, and, and definitely the the fanfare for a matchup like that is, is because at the the bottom line is, yes, we play a game for a living, the players, and it is about wins and losses for us, but we're in an entertainment industry and it's about the fans. I think that, and I'll get to this a little bit later. I think we just finished watching the WBC and that was entertaining and the fans loved it. And there was excitement around the game. And I really like that. You know, I talk a lot about B uh, when asked that question, I, I've got my Brett Boone hat on for the player and how I approach it. But then I take, I take that off and I put my Brett Boone, the fan hat on and, and I really enjoyed just seeing, you know, it it wasn't just about the games, but the, the little stories about the games, the great Britons uh, being firemen and, and, 
having jobs and now they're playing against the, some of the greatest teams in the world and the greatest players in the world. I, I thought those feel good stories. I thought they were really cool and not to get corny, but I really did. Take your business further with a smart and flexible American express business gold card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit us restaurants and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to get back to the beat and your roots. How does a beat writer get up to speed? You were with the with the Cincinnati Post up until 1993. You moved on to Denver. How did you uh, How do you get up to speed on the beat? If if that's a if that's a correct question. <laughs> yeah, it's really. Um, you know, I had worked covering AAA ball in Maine, and I was uh, my hometown paper, and then uh, all of a sudden. I'm walking into the red spring training in Plant City, Florida, and knocking on the door of Pete Rose's office. And uh, I was scared to death. I mean, it was a pretty daunting experience. And, uh, you know, I, but I did it for five years. And you remember when I did it, uh, that was when, you know, Pete was suspended for his gambling. Um, March Shot was in the news every day. Cincinnati was, there was always, something going on. And I always felt like uh, there was just no substitute for getting there early, you know, walking, walking over to players and putting the notebook away and getting to know them a little bit as people, maybe what made them tick, uh, what they thought was fair and what wasn't, you know, you really needed to be there every day to have credibility. Um, so it was just one of those, you know, put in the hours grind and get the job done and um i'll be honest after about five years of it i was pretty i had almost had enough of beat writing and then you look at a guy like hal mccoy who did it for what 40 something years you yeah. know um those guys are amazing to me and um you know but that was a different era you really don't see many people do it for more than a few years i think a lot of the Young writers look at B-writing as a stepstone to something else. The game of baseball today, how do we make sure it stays relevant? There's so many choices for us out there. How does baseball make sure it stays relevant? Once again, touching on the WBC, I thought that was a great start. I, th I think it's you've seen excitement at this time of the year for the baseball season that I don't think we've seen for a long time. I th yeah, we're a week out or, or less than a week now from from opening day. People, the, the true baseball fans are getting up. But I think it touched more than just the true baseball fans. I think worldwide it was home run. Yeah, I mean, we went down there with the Players Association. We did a lot of social media stuff. And, you know, we did stuff with Team Israel. We did stuff with. Nicaragua, there was a, a player for Nicaragua 
Um, I think his name was Juan Montez. He had a handlebar mustache that he played with. And, you know, we, I think focusing on the personalities and the human side of these players, you know, with the content that people look for, um, what's the best part of the NCAA tournament? It's watching Jim Laranega dance in the locker room, right? Or players really show their different sides. So I think baseball uh, traditionally to me maybe has been behind basketball and some other sports in putting the focus on the players. You know, obviously, I think in baseball a lot of times it's been about putting the focus on teams. But if a guy has a personality uh, like you did when you played, I mean, did people try to stifle that? Did people say, hey, I'm curious, like when you played – you were a guy who liked to talk. Did, did veterans say to you, hey, knock it off, don't talk? You know, because that's kind of the the tradition in baseball is if you have a – you're a young player and you have a personality, you really can't show it because that's not the way it's traditionally done. Yeah, and I think obviously we're seeing a big change to that. Yeah, I've – you know, when I have guys on the on – the, the podcast and we talk about when we came up, it was a, a, a bit different. It was pretty much a, a sit down, speak when you're spoken to. And uh, once you earn your stripes and, and you prove yourself at this level, well, then you can do what you want, but you're right. And and I don't necessarily think that's the best way. Uh, you're seeing a lot of personalities and a lot of players nowadays in, in major league baseball. When you made your move and going over to the players association, um, what have you learned about that side of the ledger? I got my my education in 1994 on the on the Players Association side. Uh, we recently on the podcast we had Donald Fear, one of the most interesting guys, it, maybe in my life that I've ever met. I I spent that 94 se- uh, off season when we were on strike and and Bud Selig canceled the the World Series, and uh, to have him on and talk about the history of the game from Marvin Miller to him. What have you learned in 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 your new role? Well, they always said this, but I've really found it out. I think in the past you always thought, well, you know, Don Fear and and Gene Orza basically tell the players what to do, and they do it. And I don't think they realize maybe how engaged some players are, how intelligent some of these guys are, how much they actually care about the game, you know. And one of the things that we try to emphasize, I think, is the – importance of taking care of the game for the next generation. And I know people tune that out. It's like, I want the next generation of players to have it better than I did. But that was why the Players Association stayed strong during all those shutdowns and challenges in the 70s and 80s. You know, uh, the difference now is when you have a, a labor shutdown or whatever, players didn't see what happened four years earlier you know a lot of these guys weren't even born in 1994 so you know but i i do think that's important uh but i i guess my point is i do think that it is the players association you know it's not the lawyers association with help from the players um the lawyers are obviously very important but you know the players are the ones who have to make the decisions and sign off on this stuff and be comfortable comfortable with it for it to become a reality. I remember, I, I mean, 94, I was just a young player in in, uh, in my second year. 
And I remember my father before me uh, had a big role in the Players Association. He was the National League rep. Uh, and I remember talking to him and, and saying, Dad, what do you think? He said, the one piece of advice he gave me is he said, educate yourself. He said, go to these meetings, sit in on the meetings, uh, do, do as much as you can. You know, at the time, I wasn't a very big voice because I was a young player. I was a second. I was there to listen. And it, it was such an educational pro process. Uh, any young player uh, today, I always say, get in those meetings, sit in on the meetings, learn, get experience. So when when you have a labor situation come up, uh, you've got an educated opinion. It's not, oh, well, let's just get it done. No, sit in those rooms, know what you're voting on and 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 have an educated opinion when somebody asks you the question. I remember back in the time I was the assistant rep for the Reds and we go to these meetings and I'd come home and, you know, I'd bring, you know, back then it wasn't Zoom and all that stuff. We might get a conference call together with my teammates, but I'd explain to them what was going on. And I had all these strong opinions coming in. These guys have not been to one meeting. They don't know what's going on. They see what they read in the newspaper, which is not always true. And I told them, until you get in those meetings, educate yourself, your opinion means nothing to me. The guys that are in there, I've got to listen to that because they know what they're seeing, what I'm seeing. But it was a really interesting process. I'm glad I went through it. Uh, and and it, it was so educational seeing. And I and I was there in the worst times, you know, when we got canceled and, and it wasn't a lot of fun. As far as today in the media, the way it is today, how has the way fans digest information changed? I mean, back in back in my day, back when you were first coming into the game, it was pretty much finish the game, go watch ESPN. And I've got to wait till the paper comes out tomorrow to see what they said, if it was nice or mean to me. Now everything's so instantaneous. Um, what do you think? What do you think about that? You think that's good for the game? And give me some of the pros and the cons that you think with our new way in 2023. Yeah, I mean, especially for somebody like me who, you know, grew up in that generation, it was an adjustment. You know, we went from no internet to the internet, then Twitter, then, you know, then you had Major League Baseball trade rumors and everybody's kind of racing to get their transaction reported first and then six other people jump on with it. Um, I mean, I think it's good in a way that it does keep people engaged. Um, you know, it's always nice to be able to sort of feel like you know what's going on. I think the problem is, is that there's an awful lot of, well, I'll send this tweet out with very little context or, you know, instead of thinking first and then reporting, it's sort of throw it out there and get it out there as quick as you can, and then we'll sort it out later. And I think sometimes you get uh, misinformation. Sometimes, as you've seen, you know, one small incident can happen and people can get labeled, you know, this guy's a hothead or this guy's this, or, you know, you can't for, I feel for the athletes because I think they're under such a microscope, you know, that one misstep is really could have a huge impact on your entire career. So, um, you know, I, I just wish maybe sometimes not only with baseball and sports, but with everything, People could kind of just maybe put away the phone, and I have issues with that too, but put away the phone for a couple hours, go for a walk, 
take a deep breath and realize, hey, maybe maybe the initial jump to conclusion isn't exactly what the reality is. Yeah, because as you know, once you send that tweet, you sent it. And and you've seen some in the past that really have come back to haunt people. Uh, you know, maybe they're in an emotional state and they just think, oh, I got to get this out there. Oh, well, maybe that wasn't a very good idea, <laughs> getting it out there as, as quick as I could. You know, on the positive sides of today's game, today's media, man, I can get I can get up to it. It's none of those. How, how did they do? What's the score? It's no. Let me get on my phone. Oh, it's middle of the fifth. There's two strikes on the hitter. Uh, that's obviously the, the really cool side of, of the technology we have nowadays. All the years you spent in the game writing. If you had five writers that you could only read during the week, who would those five be? Wow, what a question. Um, well, I think you have to put Peter Gammons on any list. You know, he he did it well before anybody else did it. You know, he sort of revolutionized the whole industry with rock music lyrics and and these huge note pages that just went on forever with uh, huge insights. Um, you know, one of my really good friends, two of my really good friends, uh, Jason Stark and Tim Kirkshen, who I worked with, they're just, you know, they're real gifts to the industry because even now, you know, Jason's been around forever and he still has more energy than anybody else. And I think he's the person people always go to when something weird happens, like that's his niche, you know? So uh, I think, you know, those three guys, Tim has an amazing way of doing things that kind of shows up um, in a way that, uh, um, you know, he's always amazed by something, right? Like it's the first time this has happened. I find it amazing. And he has this sort of boyish enthusiasm about stuff. Um, you know, one of the writers who had an influence on me was, uh, Ross Newhan, who worked at the LA times for years, who I just thought did it with, you know, class and dignity and, thoroughness and fairness. So he was a guy who I thought was great. Um, you know, there's so many others. I think uh, Tyler Kepner from the New York Times uh, has that sort of spirit. You know, he's a guy who, um, when he was a teenager, was like doing a newsletter, you know, has that, that love for the game. So, you know, there are so many other ones, I'm sure I'd be doing a disservice. But you know, I'd say those are some of the guys, obviously, that that spring to mind for me. And that's going to just segue into the next one. All the years you've been covering this game, five players you'd pay to, to watch play. Oh, boy. Um, you know, I'd say I've always had a soft spot for Tony Gwynn. You know, I just uh, the way he hit, the way he sort of fought the game. Um just his philosophy. I thought he was just so counter to what everybody thought. He was just so dynamic. Um, Greg Maddox was like that for me, you know, to watch him um, sort of just do everything perfectly and hit the corners. And, um, you know, he was amazing. Um, you know, Randy Johnson was obviously a huge spectacle when he ever, when he came out there. Um, you know, I, I guess you, you, you got to go back. I don't know if you're going back through history, but obviously you have guys like 
Willie Mays, you know, or, uh, or, uh, you know, Hank Aaron, I think, uh, those guys, just the, the consistency of excellence over like two decades, um, is just amazing when you think about it. So, um, you know, and in recent years, I mean, I think you have guys like Pujols and Miguel Cabrera and you look at them and you just say, they did it so well for so long. Um, it's really incredible. So, you know, I'm sure I'm losing, uh, missing a bunch of people. And if you throw some names at me, you know, the Aussie Smiths and the people like that who who did something in a certain way, uh, you know, Ken Griffey Jr., I guess, at his peak, you would know this. I mean, was there a more sort of dynamic and and charismatic player who just you would pay to watch and you basically couldn't take your eye off the guy? And, uh, you know, the same, I think, goes for Barry Bonds, even though later in his career, obviously, you know, there were issues, I think, through that decade of the 90s, you'd have a hard time finding a guy who would uh, – give you your money's worth more than, you know, him when you bought a ticket to a game. All those guys you mentioned, it's like I got a story for each one of them. Barry Bonds, when asked, it's the greatest player I've ever seen with my own eyes. Ken Griffey Jr., best teammate, uh, the most talented player I ever played with on the same team. Randy Johnson, I was a teammate briefly with, as the best left-hander I've ever faced. And Greg Maddox, to this day, when asked, uh, I think you hit it on the head. He was a technician. Start to finish, full body of work, all the years I faced him, there was nobody better than Greg Maddox. In my opinion, the best pitcher I've ever seen. Pedro, uh, for a two- or three- or four-year period, you can make an argument. But I think entire body of work. The thing about Maddox that I'm so – to this day, Greg's a good friend of mine. I was amazed every time I'd face him. You know, it seems like – Certain pitchers, even the great ones, when they're having a rough day, uh, they're going to call for a fastball away. They might miss by a foot. They're just having an off day. When Greg was having an off day, it was missing by a couple inches, and he gave up three over seven. And it was like, it, it was amazing to me and, and what he did over a decade, especially the, the entire decade of the 90s. Um, but I'll, I'll bring back memories for me when you mentioned those five. We have a similar five. Uh, you know, not, not that anybody asked me, but I have a story for each, each and every one of them. Um, before I let you out of here, real quick, how much have you been paying attention this spring? Uh, pitch clock. It, it's the big it's the big talking point. I think the biggest change, you know, they got the base change. That's it. But it's the pitch clock. Uh, I was in spring training briefly. I went up into the booth. I did a couple innings uh, with Rick Riz with the San Diego or with the uh, Seattle Mariners. And I was supposed to go up there for a couple innings. Well, a couple innings went by. They went by so fast that I ended up doing four innings. So it was so, much different for me. Uh, my early opinion is I think they're going to be some tweaking to it throughout the year. Uh, but so far, managers I've talked to, fans that I've talked to, they kind of like it. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, players you know, players will adapt, right? If they know what the sort of landscape is. Um, and I do think, look, as a former sports writer, I guess you have to – this is a funny story, but um, when I was a young writer in Cincinnati, I believe it was 1989, I'd covered a game where the Reds scored 14 runs on 16 hits in the first inning. They battered around twice, and they got into the third time around the order. I think they won 18-2, to two, and the Reds had 
26 hits. And I went back and looked at the time of the game of that game. It was 216. <laughs> wow. And I just thought, wow, like things have sort of crept in to the game that we haven't realized with a lot of different for a lot of different reasons. So, you know, I think players are adapting to it. I guess the one thing that I would caution at least is you'd like to see player input in terms of wiggle room. Like, for instance, I've heard people bring up, okay, it's 15 seconds, but and the, the hitter has to be in the box after eight ready to go. Well, what if you're in Chicago and it's 38 degrees with a 20 mile an hour wind? Like, are we going to cut a guy some slack? And how much are we going to like hue to the, you know, the definitive numbers on this thing? Are we going to say, wait, look, let's sort of give guys some wiggle room and, you know, and I just, you obviously don't want to have something bad happen on a real national stage later in the year. So hopefully they can work out some of the kinks and, you know, and I've heard different thoughts. Players are going to have different opinions and they're free to express those. But, um, you know, I think most of them realize, Hey, these are the rules and you can complain about them all you want, but if you complain and you don't comply, you're going to be at a disadvantage to guys who are figuring it out and working it into their, their regimen. So um, you know, it's it's a big change. The other thing, and I'll toss this back to you, but I don't know that people have paid that much attention. You know, people have been talking about the clock so much. Uh, there's going to be an awful lot more hits this year because of that shift. Uh, you know, I talked to guys who said, geez, I hit a ground ball up the middle and it was a base hit, you know, and they're almost stunned. It's like they saw Sasquatch or something. Um so, you know, I think that's going to be an issue that uh, a difference in the game that people haven't talked about that's going to wind up being, uh, you know, pretty important change. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, I, I don't uh, in my generation, we didn't have uh, we didn't overshift. You might have a lefty here and there that we go into a, a pretty decent shift, but we never had a Manny Machado in right field taking away, <laughs> taking away pop-ups down the right field line. So a little bit of different. I still think you're going to see the teams that are real analytical really, uh, really would, would lean on the shift heavily. I still think you're going to see them trying to push the envelope right to the edge of that shift, just to the left of that base at second base. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to, to see how those changes are. The only thing about, and, and once again, I, you know, the guys that I've talked to, they really do like the game at, at a swifter pace. Things that, you know, uh, I've talked to some fans that are saying, you know, I, I'm normally looking at my phone and, and checking it out because, you know, in, in the past and I don't miss anything. He says, now I'm looking at my phone and I'm missing something. They're putting the ball in play. It's a lot quicker. The managers, especially, you know, they say they really like it. The only thing I, I don't want to see Jerry, and I don't think fans want to see whether it's your, it's the fan. If the, it's the team, that's your team. You're rooting for that team or you're rooting against that team. I don't think anybody wants to see, uh, a winner, a loss ended on, on a clock violation. You know, we've always, as players, had some pride in our sport, Major League Baseball, that we don't have a clock. All the other sports have a clock, and, and we don't have one. Well, that's changed now. We do have a clock. It'll be interesting to see uh, throughout the year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the that's the kind of kink that you want to get ironed out in spring training, right? <laughs> you right. know, if it happens in 
late February, okay, we'll figure it out. But you certainly don't want to have it happen on a on a big stage. And I personally think anything that highlights the sort of athleticism of guys puts balls in play and you get to see a Manny Machado or Nolan Arenado play play third base, you know, and these guys are artists over there. I mean, there are some amazingly gifted players. So I personally think, you know, more balls that are put in play that you can see that it's going to make for a more entertaining game. And I do think baseball really, as we saw with the WBC, you know, we'll see it during the year with, uh, you know, this Jordan Walker kid and Anthony Volpe. You're going to see some of these new faces come in, um, you know, with some of the current stars. Uh, I'm in Philadelphia. So even though Reese Hoskins injury, you know, was really unfortunate. Uh, you look at Trey Turner coming in and Bryce Harper and, you know, I can feel it in the city that I live in. And I think, you know, baseball to me seems like it's in a pretty good place right now. Um, you know, it's just a question of, uh, of building on that momentum and, uh, you know, and keeping it up and, and really helping people to get to know some of these great players that are out there. Yep. Well, Jerry Krasnick, I appreciate you coming on the Boone podcast. A lot of fun. Good catching up with you. All the best. Uh, at the Players Association and, and your future endeavors. Let's have a great year. And uh, it was a pleasure having you on the Boone Podcast. And for all of us here at the Boone Podcast, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.